0: Do me a favor and just uh, pause for a minute and pray with me one more time if you don't mind. Father, we are grateful for moments just to be still. And we come to you this morning with the hearts filled with gratitude for who you are. For who you've called us to be. whatever we're experiencing right now within ourselves, internally. Father, may we release all these things, all these names, all these people, all these emotions to you. Thank you for your long and loving gaze upon us. May we hear your word. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, as people made their way out of that ordinary block house, their experience was anything but ordinary, (laughs) as was their response, right? If you think about your heart being occupied, their hearts were occupied with bewilderment, that's the best word I could come up with. I even like. I, it's just great to be able to say the word bewilderment, right? Their hearts were occupied with bewilderment. They were blown away, if you would. Uh, other other things you might say is they were in awe. They were perplexed. They were seized by amazement, and rendered, if you will, almost speechless. That's another way you could say it. But collectively, the text tells us that they were all glorifying god and if you had stopped anyone that afternoon that morning whatever it was whatever time of day it was and said what just happened in there what just happened to that guy who's walking out the response was pretty simple we have never brad we've never seen anything like this lake we've never seen anything like this miss irma we've never seen anything like this we don't know what to say we've never seen anything like this that was the response in fact here's how intense it was it's the year 2021 and we're still talking about it how you like that Two thousand years later we're still talking about their bewilderment because they couldn't believe what they saw and here's what we know Jesus is on the move. you got to love that. Jesus is on the move. And he's invited Simon. And he's invited Andrew. And he's invited James. And he's invited John to follow him. And they are moving throughout the Galilee region. And Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God. And it goes something like this. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And I can't help but think that every time Jesus went somewhere, people knew that the kingdom had come near. And everywhere Jesus travels, he's casting out demons. That would cause some bewilderment for most of us, right? He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's teaching with an authority that no one has ever heard before. And people are asking, really, relevant and good questions kind of like this who is this who is this that's a really good question who is this it's the right question who is this where did he come from who is he and where did he come from and where can we find him where can we find this guy As you can imagine, word about Jesus is spreading quickly over the entire region. In fact, his popularity or fame or notoriety, however you want to say it, is growing. And he is, in fact, gathering crowds, or at least crowds are being drawn to him. And and as we know, that doesn't always mean success, just because crowds are drawn. But here's the truth. It is all Jesus could do. To find space to catch his breath because of the things that are happening with his life and his ministry. Listen to Mark 1, 35 through 37. After one of these events when he had been bombarded by people, it says the very next day he, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted. I should have highlighted the word hunted. They're hunting Jesus. Have you ever this is crazy? They're hunting him. And when they found him they said Jesus everyone is searching for you literally everyone Maybe even with a little bit of anxiety right everyone is searching for you and then in Mark 45 145 he got out and it says but when he went out and began to proclaim it freely the word right and it spread the word to so the point that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly but stayed out in the country The NRSV says that he went to lonely places and people came to him from every quarter. He had no space because of the crowds. However, in a few days, the text tells us that he returns home. Quite possibly to the comfort of his own home back to Capernaum. Back to the hometown of Simon and Andrew James and John, not to mention probably countless people that have heard him speak, maybe even people he's cast demons out of, maybe even people he's healed. And I'd love for you just to consider this. Maybe you just uh, affirm this statement by your grins. Um, We all know what it's like to be back home after being gone for a while, right? Do you know that feeling? Whether it's, whether it's been you've been traveling and maybe you've had a great vacation or maybe you've not been gone all that long, but there's something about coming back to your house. You get this? Are you with me? Not if you get me. Right? There's something about coming back to your house. And maybe if you're like us, we cleaned the house before we left so that when we came back to the house, we came, we came to the house to what? Nice. Right? We don't have to clean up anything. It was good to be home. I can't help but think that Jesus was experiencing what it felt like just to be back home. The text doesn't tell us what day it was, and I love that because basically it could be any day, right? It wasn't the Sabbath, they would have said that. It wasn't a particular day, but it was an ordinary day. And I can imagine the conversations that would have taken place maybe the night before that day, maybe even that morning. Anxiety was probably pretty low, right? After all, it's just going to be another day. Nothing spectacular is going to happen today. Jesus certainly maybe wasn't expecting guests. At his house. There were to-do lists for sure because, you know, life then had rhythms like it has now and um, there were things that had to be done even though you've been gone, you're back home. Maybe you were thinking about catching back up with friends and family. Maybe you're reminiscing on the events that took place the week before. Maybe there is some cleaning around the house to do. There's preparations. You have to eat, right? So there's preparations for mealtimes. I'm sure there were work-related tasks because you've been gone, so you've kind of got to get back into the normal flow of things. And so there were fish that needed to be caught. There were nets that needed to be cleaned. There were errands that needed to be run. Shop at the local market. Check. Get water from the well. Check. Tend the sheep. Check. Maybe play with some baby goats. Check. For some, find Jesus. Check. I just wonder what you and I might hear if we just paused and imagined some very specific conversations that may have taken place that morning. I wonder what Jesus was thinking when he woke up that day. I like wondering about these things. What was Jesus thinking when he woke up that particular day over 2000 years ago he's been on the move he's tired he's home i love the way mark talks about Jesus' humanity he's a man he's home he's tired he wants to chill a little bit you ever thought about jesus just chilling he just wanted to catch his breath maybe he woke up and just thought man it's nice to sleep on this bed it's nice to sleep on this pillow he's in a familiar place there are familiar smells and there are familiar faces. You know, it's, it's home. And as noted, he's had to stay everywhere. He's been out in lonely places because the crowds have been overwhelming. But he's home. And moments by himself or moments with his family are few and far between. And I'm sure he's exhausted. So maybe, maybe just today, this weekend, maybe today, this weekend, he can catch his breath and recuperate just a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe he got up early and before anybody else did and his routine was to go off and pray and reflect and maybe he did that but maybe he hadn't made any specific plans to teach. Maybe or share the word but sometimes it just happens with Jesus, right? He can't turn it off uh, because Jesus' very presence signifies the reality of the kingdom but I, I don't know that he planned anything like that. And sure he needed to rest but he loved people. He loved encounters. And people never ceased to amaze him. Um, And there's nothing like for Jesus to watch creation take place in someone's life. But not to mention this, I think that Jesus likes surprises. And although it was the last thing he was thinking about, I, I can almost guarantee you, he probably wasn't thinking about repairing a roof that day. Right? Today he wanted to chill. I wonder what the scribes were thinking and the Pharisees. Luke 5 retells this same story and it tells us that the scribes and Pharisees were coming from villages all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem just to see Jesus and hear Him. So He's drawing crowds from all over and many of them have heard He's come home and they're looking for Him. It seems in Mark that in this narrative it's way too soon for scribes and Pharisees to becoming to come to him with malicious intent. So I assume they're coming just to, because they're curious. They want to hear Jesus. They want to see him. But as we've already pointed out, word has spread quickly. They've heard the stories. Um, They've heard Jesus teach. At least some of them have, and they're intrigued. Why wouldn't you want more? So they want to find Jesus. They have questions. And maybe for some, they've never seen him. Maybe they've never heard him, and they want a glimpse of who this is, whose life and whose teachings are creating such a stir. You have to imagine that some of them were skeptical. Perhaps some have been waiting for this day. And regardless of their posture, the stories, I wonder if they're true. It all seems really impossible, all the things that we're hearing. But today, today's the day. We've got to get to that house before anybody else gets there to see for ourselves. And I wonder what the villagers are thinking, those who live in Capernaum. If you lived there, you probably knew who Jesus was, right? It's not a very big village, not a very big city. You've probably met him. You may have even interacted with him. Or, or maybe you know someone who has. Just, just play with this for a little bit. Maybe, just maybe, your next door neighbor... This may ring a little too true, though. Maybe your next door neighbor has been the one that's been demon-possessed for years. And he's been released from that bondage and you finally had an opportunity to have a normal conversation with him or her. Maybe you're dear friends with Simon's mother-in-law. And you were there the day in that possible house in Capernaum when Jesus walked in and took her hand and helped her get up and the fever left her body. Maybe you were there when that happened. Jesus told the man who he had healed from leprosy not to share his experience, but maybe you were one of the people that he did tell, even after Jesus had told him not to. Or maybe you're just part of the crowd. You just want to know what's happening. Whatever the reason was, you were curious, they were curious, they knew Jesus was home, and they wanted to see for themselves. So just maybe, in their everyday, normal going about, they would bump into Jesus, and maybe today they'd have a chance to interact with him. You've got Jesus, you've got the scribes, you've got the Pharisees, you've got the villagers, but wonder about the main character in this story. I wonder what's happening in the mind of the paralytic, in the mind of the four friends that morning. We don't even know his name. No name is ever given for any of them. In fact, we don't even know how he became a paralytic or how long he's even been a paralytic, but it appears that he has no mobility He's likely completely reliant on the care of others. We don't know if he's been like this since birth or if his condition was a result of an accident or, or if his paralysis occurred over time. All we know is that he's paralyzed and that there are some people who care about him pretty deeply. They've got to care about him pretty deeply, right? If they didn't care about him, they would have never orchestrated the rendezvous that's about to take place with Jesus. And if you really were just to pause for a moment and read beyond this text to think about the implications of his paralysis, you might just find out how impressive their care for this man is. Because given the circumstances, then, you think about how challenging circumstances are now for someone who is a paralytic, for someone who cannot get around, for someone who has no mobility, for someone who has to have everything done from them, from eating to getting up, to laying down, all the above. You think about how challenging that is now. How challenging it must have been then. But people then would have thought it was a result of his sinfulness. And that his condition obviously was irreversible. And since his condition is irreversible, then there's no way that this man is forgivable. Let that sink in for a second. His condition is irreversible. There's nothing that can be done about it, and therefore he's unforgivable. And written off. You've heard it said, no one gets up from his or her sickbed unless all their sins are forgiven. And as a result of his condition, his medical circumstances, his situation in life, he was socially ostracized and excluded from probably everything. And because of Levitical purity codes and the assumption that he's accursed by God, full participation in any kind of synagogue activity or normal social event was denied to this man. He has no life. Are you you tracking with me on this? He has no life. He's unforgivable. At least that's the way they would have assumed it. This man is not welcome at the table. He can't crawl to Jesus He can't hobble his way to Jesus. And Jesus has been on the move for a while. So it would have been incredibly challenging for his friends to pick him up and carry him any further. But they had heard he was back home. Are you with me? (laughs) They heard he's back home. They hoped he'd come back. They wished he'd come back. But maybe now they'd have a chance to get Jesus in close proximity to their friend. Or in other words, if they could just get their friend in close proximity to Jesus, maybe something could happen. And maybe that morning they've gone back and forth. Should we go? Should we not go? Is this crazy? Of course it's crazy, but we've got to try. If there's any chance that we can restore this man to health, we've got to get him to Jesus. So his friends are loyal. They are determined and they are daring. Crowd or no crowd. Today, they are going to get their friend to Jesus. And for Jesus, that feeling of being back in the comfort of his own home vanished rather quickly. <laughs> right? I assume there was a knock on the door. And you know the knock, so don't play like you don't know the knock. You know when you're at your house and somebody knocks on the door and you're not expecting company and you're like, don't open it. Everybody be really quiet. Right? Y'all, I know you've done this too. Shh. Don't say anything. If we're just really still, they'll go away. I just wonder if they're not in the house going, Jesus, just keep quiet. I know you like people. Don't open the door. It's just our one day. Don't open the door. Maybe they'll just go away. Or maybe it's, this is probably inappropriate. Maybe it's like Big Bang Theory and it's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he finally opens the door. I don't know. I like to think it maybe was like that. But the door reluctantly gets opened. And before long, the house is filled with guests. Not just one. Not just one person who's come over to hang out. Crowds from the village are now filling this house. And on the other side of the village, there are men securing their friend to a mat. And they are carefully making their way across the village to this house. I can't believe we're doing this. I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to walk again. What are you talking about? Can you imagine the conversations? They're making their way across the village. And eventually, as they begin this short journey, they approach the house. And can you imagine the butterflies in their stomach as they begin to just sink? The house is crowded. There's so many people there they can't even get in the front door. And it's not vindictive, by the way. No one's trying to keep him out. It's just not what they expected. There's no way through the front door. And windows aren't an option. Jesus has the power to heal this man, but they can't get to the source of the power. So if you think about it like this, their access to Jesus is unintentionally blocked by really well-intentioned people who are sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him, but they can't get to him. But today, today this group of friends is rather imaginative, and they dare to do the difficult and dangerous, and they are willing to take a risk to get their friend to Jesus. Indifferent to the property damage that's about to occur and the barriers before them, They circumvent the crowd, and they make their way up this block, out of this blockhouse, to a stairway, maybe even a ladder, that leads them to this flat, mud-thatched roof. And it's going to require some digging to get through, but it's their best shot. And after carefully getting their friend to the roof, maybe one of them puts their ear to the roof, and maybe he says, this is it. This is the room. Let's dig here. And just below them, Jesus is teaching. Four of them begin to get on their knees and they're scraping and they're digging out these grooves. And those below them begin to notice this strange noise of scratching. And, like, can you imagine, like, particles even in this room beginning to drop on your heads right now? And then larger chunks, you're going, What on earth is happening to the roof? And in typical fashion, I can't help but think Jesus is interrupted again, right? Here he is again uninterrupted, but he probably loves it. (sighs) Ah. He's not offended. Jesus is not offended. You, you hear this, right? Jesus is not offended. Okay? The roof is coming apart above him, and he's like, let's do this. Okay? He's not offended. He's not alarmed. I imagine at this point Jesus is maybe even smirking a little bit, maybe even smiling, because this was a first. This hasn't happened yet. He's seen a lot, but this hasn't happened, and this is not what he was expecting today. He was expecting just a chill. And the men are unroofing the roof above them. Large sections are coming undone, and they're beginning to make eye contact. Kind of like the eye contact I made with my wife when I fell through our roof in the attic. <laughs> and my legs are dangling through the roof, and Jenniferine's back in the recliner, and we make eye contact. I'm like, What's up? <laughs> she said, What's up? And we're just, there's a hole there now, right? It's just, it's just, hap- it's just it's happening right now. Oh. But before anyone could say anything, they begin to slowly, slowly, I assume with care, lower their friend. Because they've come too far to drop him. That would have been bad. Right? Slowly they're taking care of him. And what they do is this. They successfully lower the man right in the middle of the room. Right in front of Jesus. Their friend is now closer than anybody else in that room to the creator of the universe. And Jesus takes one more look up and he looks at the friends and their unspoken request and he says this. Seeing their faith, he gazed upon the paralytic and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now brace yourself for a few moments. Right? They've gone through all this work. They lower him to the roof and Jesus goes, Awesome. Your your sins are forgiven. And he goes, Seriously? I mean, that's awesome, but that was unexpected. That's not what they expected Jesus to say. The paralytic hasn't been brought to Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. He wants to walk again. Now what? The scribes are baffled. They're questioning in their hearts why is he talking like this? As David just read, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So the scribes are caught off guard. This isn't what they expected today. It's not what they expected him to say. Who does he think that he is? Who? By the way, it's the correct question. Once again, it's the correct question. Who is this? Although for them, it's like, this is not the proper way for sins to be forgiven. There's a routine for this. We have a way of doing these things. This is not it. You're not following the rules, Jesus. And Jesus, perceiving their hearts and their thoughts, confronts their skepticism because he knows what they're thinking, right? And he wants them to experience firsthand the authority by which he can forgive sins. The authority to heal and the authority to forgive are one and the same. He says, why do you raise such questions in your heart? What are you doing? Why are you, why are you, what, what's going on with you? Again, you're correct. Only God can forgive sins, so we're warming up here. Which is easier to say? So think about this. He didn't say which is easier to do. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and take your mouth? Well, of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof right off the bat, right? It's easier to say that. But if you say stand up, it's instantly demonstrated whether you knew what you were doing or not. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But just so you know, but so you know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you stand up and take your mat and go home. <laughs> in other words, God has put someone into the world who will put an end to death and decay, and I am that someone. I am in your midst. In other words, the kingdom has come near. Your sins are forgiven, which means I forgive your sins. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them. The proof of the healing and Jesus' ability to forgive sins is shown by this paralytic man standing up taking his mat and walking away with the very men who brought him there to begin with. And I can't help but think about it like this. Just as God spoke creation and life into this world, Jesus speaks life back into this man. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Jesus moved the immovable. He moved the immovable. Everybody says it's not possible. I don't know why we live in such a time where we believe in this creator of the universe who has done all these things and we just think, that's just not possible. That couldn't be possible. There's no way that could happen. That's ridiculous. How about if we just maybe for a chance thought maybe it is possible? Maybe things with him are possible. Maybe things we didn't expect to happen will happen because it's possible. And what's the response to the people who were there that day? We've never seen anything like this. So maybe my slide should just say this. Jesus still moves the immovable. I'm not comfortable with it being in past tense. I want to say to you, Jesus still moves the immovable. And by the way, it's not just physical bodies. It's our hearts. Jesus still moves our hearts. And I will say this, because I believe this, God is at work in this world around us. God is at work in this community we call Sumner County. And the question is, are we going to join in or not? I believe this scene that we've just talked about takes place today. I believe it's taking place all over this world. And I believe if we just thought that it was possible, it might just happen. And so the question remains the same. I've kind of asked this question each time I've delivered a message the last few times. And I just think I'm just going to keep doing it. And that is, what kind of person is John Micah becoming today? What kind of person are you becoming today? What kind of people are we becoming? What kind of church are we becoming today? And I walk away from this story with these observations. Being a part of the crowd is not the same thing as having faith or being on a journey with faith. That's easy. Being a disciple requires action. It requires movement. It requires us being in movement with Jesus. Here's another one. As disciples, you and I must commit our lives to movement with Jesus. Not a one-time gig. It's this life that flows through us. And I still believe that Jesus' name, Jesus has the ability and the power to heal, to save and forgive and to free others from bondage. And here's what we do know. Sometimes access to Jesus is blocked, just like it was in this story. So here's another question. Are we becoming people who prevent others from reaching Jesus? In other words, will my life, will your life inhibit, discourage, and make it challenging for people, all people, to access him? Or will they be left looking through a window just to get a glimpse? Or will we make the access possible? Are we becoming people who will do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus? Maybe today. I don't know. Maybe my eyes and your eyes will be open to the possibilities around us. And maybe today, you and I, for for the first time, maybe we'll notice the people who are all around us who are trying to make their way to Jesus. Maybe, maybe today, maybe we'll become like those four friends and be determined and daring and imaginative. Maybe today, what about this? What if today you and I had experiences where we said, we have never seen anything like this? And it's because of Jesus, not because of us. This thing is going to end as abruptly as the Mark chapter 2 passage is. The invitation is wide open. Full blast. Full blast all the time, every day. Stand with us and sing.